to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Today, uh, I'm joined by Tom Landwehr, and this is actually a recording from back in 2017 at the Minnesota Governor's Deer Hunting Opener event. And this is an event that's gone on for many years here in Minnesota, and I think is a great reflection of the importance of deer camp culture and the deer hunting season to our state uh, that the governor would put an event like this together. Uh, commissioner Landwehr is now ending his tour here as the as the commissioner of the Department of Natural Resources in early 2019, and so I thought it was appropriate to to get this uh, podcast recording out. As the commissioner of the DNR, he is appointed by the governor to really enforce hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation laws, and also manage much of the public land that exists within the state of Minnesota. There are also federal and county lands, but there much of it is managed by the state, which is then um, managed by this organization, the Department of Natural Resources, for both recreation as well as industry like timber and mining. Uh, they also deal with threats to the land and water like invasive species and diseases like chronic wasting disease that's uh, starting to affect the deer herd in different areas of the country. Stepping back for a moment, if you look at the North American model for conservation, one of the tenets of it calls for scientific management of wildlife and habitats. And state agencies are a big part of that management model. Uh, in Minnesota, it's called the Department of Natural Resources, or the DNR. In other states, it's called Game and Fish, or the Department of Fish and Wildlife, or the Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. A lot of different names, but they all, in essence, do the same thing, which is managing the habitat and the wildlife uh, for the future. So if you're new to hunting and fishing, make sure you familiarize yourself with all that the agency within your state does. Uh, and they've often got a lot of great resources, such as details, obviously, on, on game laws, but also things like maps with access to public lands and, and things along those lines. Uh, get to know your, your conservation officer, or CO, as, as they're referred to often, uh, in the areas where you want to hunt and fish, and they can be a great resource for you. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Commissioner Tom Landwehr. Okay, we are here with um, Commissioner Tom Landwehr of the Minnesota DNR. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So we are actually at Timberlake Lodge here in northern Minnesota, uh, kicking off the 2017 Minnesota Deer Hunting Opener with uh, the governor, yes. yourself, yeah. Uh, and a whole list of dignitaries and uh, local hunters from all corners of the state. I even met uh, people from uh, as far away as Washington State last night you bet. at yeah. the dinner. So, yeah. um, so what? What's with the tradition of of deer camp here in Minnesota? 
Well, and so we are in Grand Rapids, to be a little more specific, which has got its byline, Grand Rapids, it's in your nature. This is a town that embraces outdoor activities, you know, including hunting and fishing. We're on the doorsteps of the Chippewa National Forest, one of the you know, favorite places of Minnesotans to go and camp and recreate. Um, but it is, uh, it's the, the, the opener, the deer opener is a big day in Minnesota. There are 500,000 deer hunters in the state of Minnesota, and 450,000 of them, give or take, will be out on Saturday morning on their deer stand, doing their drives, uh, whatever, however they choose to hunt in Minnesota. And we know from surveys that 25% of those people hunt exclusively on public lands, and we're, and we're very fortunate in that in Minnesota. I tell people all the time that, <clears throat> you know, we've got, you know, at least three things that make deer hunting really exceptional in Minnesota. One is we've got a very good deer herd right now. We've had two years of increasing deer numbers. We have uh, uh, snow on the ground, which makes it easier to track deer, obviously, and see deer. And we have access that is free to millions and millions of acres of public land. So we have really got all of the ingredients, just an exceptional uh, deer season in Minnesota. So who, who owns these public lands? Well, and, and that's a really good, subtle point. We talk about public lands, but they are your lands, they are my lands, they are our lands. These are lands that belong to the public, which is why we call them public lands. But they are, they are owned by the state of Minnesota for the benefit of the people of the state of Minnesota. I remember when I was young, um, first stumbling across Carlos Avery. I was, grew up in the cities, and I lived in the cities, but I was a hunter as an angler. I remember stumbling across Carlos Avery Wildlife Management at some 25,000 acres just north of the Twin Cities. And coming into this piece of ground, this huge piece of ground, right, that's like 40 square miles. Yeah. And thinking, I can hunt here. Yeah. I can have my gun out. I can be walking along with a shotgun anywhere I want here, and I could shoot a pheasant if it got up or a duck if it got up. I thought... This has got to be illegal. So this has got to be illegal. This, this, in the cities, you just don't do this. Right. And here we were, twenty miles from the cities, right. and it's and it is still there today. Carlos Avery Wildlife Management is still an extraordinarily popular place for people to hunt. To me, that that is uh, that is something that's it's just such quintessential, such a quintessential American experience from the standpoint of uh, the ability and the freedom to go do that. In uh, you know, on on. Tons of lands, tons of opportunities. You bet. So, Commissioner, if you could talk about um, what's the difference from either a hunter experience or from a legal perspective on county versus state versus federal, because there's a lot of focus with public lands right now on the federal. Uh, but in Minnesota, you know, where I hunt, where I yep. deer hunt, um, is is nearly all county and state. That's what I'm right. usually on. So, how, what's the difference? You know, um, I think we're we're very lucky in Minnesota in that the different levels of government tend to have comparable rules about how to use the land. So, um, you know, I think most uh, once upon a time you could build a permanent stand uh, in Minnesota, right on. Federal land, on state land, on county land, a permanent stand. Of course, you bring the two by fours out, you bring the long nails out, you pound it into a tree, and and it stays there. And and uh, all levels of government have gotten away from that. Right. And the reason is because those forests are still managed for you know timber. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not uh, you can't as a logger or you can't as a mill have 
timber that's got nails in it. And so uh, just even recently, the, the federal government has been going this, the state has been going this, the counties are going this, uh, use of per- portable stands only. So you mm-hmm. bring it in, you bring it out, it doesn't have nails in a tree. But other than that, you know, I think um, almost all of those lands have comparable laws. You know, you think, you think well, what am I going to do as a hunter? Well, the one thing I might do that's, you know, somewhat intrusive, if you will, would be to put up a stand. But if you're using a portable, uh, the, the, the rules are comparable all, all the way across. You can you go in with a portable, you put it up, you can leave it overnight on state forest land, federal okay. forest land, uh, not on a wildlife management area, but you can on state uh, state forest land and, and county forest land and so on. But then it's just common sense. You know, mm-hmm. I don't leave a bunch of garbage there. I don't uh, cross over onto private land. Uh, I don't d- drive where I shouldn't be driving. So the, the good thing is that the the rules are pretty comparable across all three types of, of land. And so, <clears throat> so you can leave a stand overnight on state. Count, does county in Minnesota, does that vary or is that... It's pretty much the same across all the the counties. I think there are something like eight counties that own that that have land under management, and it's and for the most part in Minnesota, this is is more detail than you need. But it's county tax forfeit land, so tracts of land that have gone tax forfeit. The state technically owns that. The county Mm -hmm. manages it, and they'll they'll typically manage it for. timber products mm-hmm. or for recreation and so okay. here we are in itasca county there's a bunch of land in itasca county that is owned by the state managed by the county and uh, open to public access so uh, how much how much do you do you know off the top of your head of public land in minnesota specifically uh, how much we have what is the what it is, is the something approaching 12 million acres wow and uh, a significant portion of that, 8 million acres, give or take, is actually owned by the state of Minnesota, which means you and me, right? Mm-hmm. It's owned by the state of Minnesota. Um, about 2.5 million of that is is county tax forfeit. The remainder is uh, owned by the state, managed by the DNR. <laughs> but then, you know, people, and again, people don't necessarily need to differentiate who is administering what lands, but we have a bunch of federal land. Mm-hmm. So here we are on a back door of Chippewa National Forest. Right. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of land, you yeah. know, with the big lakes, Winnie and Leech and so on. But then we've got the Superior, and you're well familiar with Superior. It's got the Boundary Waters. It's got all of the Arrowhead of Minnesota. We've got two, three million acres of National Forest. And then we've got uh, Federal Waterfall Production Areas and National Wildlife Refuges on the western part of the state. So we are just extraordinarily fortunate to have this diverse mixture of public lands that are open access for anybody who wants to use them for bird watching or hiking or hunting or fishing. You know, I, I was uh, recently doing a, a hunt out west, an antelope hunt out west, and it was my first experience with the patchwork of public versus private lands out yeah. there. And we don't really have that problem here in Minnesota, do we? I mean, our, most of our, you know, we have obviously private versus public, yep. but it's not, It's it doesn't appear to me to be that type of patchwork that becomes challenging. But how does a new hunter um, know where's public, when, where's where. private? Yeah. Well, and you know, in fact, in this part of the state, in the forest of Minnesota, we actually do have quite a patchwork and it's, and it's kind of, uh, interesting when you look at a plat book. 
because it, you will have uh, this section is owned by the state of Minnesota, administered by DNR. You have this part that's owned by the state of Minnesota, owned by uh, managed by the county. You'll have this section that's owned by the federal government, managed by the Forest Service. We do have very much of a patchwork, but it is all still public, right? right. So you can still right. cross those lines. I think, and, and the other thing is we have a trespass law in Minnesota <laughs> that says um, you cannot walk past a sign that says no trespassing. But if forest land is unposted, uh, Minnesota law allows you to walk onto that land. And so in, in northern Minnesota, we have a lot of uh, in, what I would call industrial forests. So Blandon owns land and Potlatch own land, owns land, thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres. And that has historically been uh, uh, treated as public land. That is the Even though it is privately even owned. Even though it is private. The yeah. companies have allowed people to just walk in those lands and hunt those lands. So when you're in northern Minnesota, if you see a don't trespass sign. It's typically a small owner that owns that. If you don't see a line, uh, a sign rather, technically you can you can go in and enter and hunt. So um, we we're just a couple weeks ago recording a podcast with uh, Land Tani, who is the CEO and president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, your last name is Landwehr. I believe your forestry division head is is first name is Forest. So forest I'm just, So I'm just wondering, <laughs> do you need to have land or forest in your name to be working in this field? You know, I I don't think it's a requirement. <laughs> I have not seen that in the position description anywhere. But I think uh, you know, I, in my own case, my dad always used to say, you know, it's a German name, Landwehr. Obviously, he always used to say, uh, defender of the land. Yeah. And I think it's more from the terms of militia. I think that you know, if you're actually in Germany, it's sort of the name of the militia sure. but i always took that hard well that's my job is defend the land yeah so tell us a little bit about your background you are you are the the commissioner of the department of natural resources appointed by the governor of the Correct. state of minnesota yep. um how do you get the, how do you get there where did you start you have career? to be really bad and you have to really you know deserve a play a special place in the netherlands in order to get this job <laughs> it's 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 punishment for what i did in my youth is what i'm convinced but well i uh i grew up in the cities and uh, i've always had an interest in hunting and fishing and uh, kind of floundered through my first years of college until i realized that there was actually a program at the university of minnesota in, in fish and wildlife management and i thought well that would be outstanding if i g- could get a degree in hunting and fishing and so i started in the wildlife management program at the university uh, you know went through got my undergrad got a graduate degree started working with dnr back in the 80s as a wildlife biologist and i started working on private lands uh counseling landowners how to improve their land for uh pheasants in particular uh ultimately became a, a, a wildlife manager where i worked on public lands and uh, always in the southern part of the state so it was always with grasslands i've always had an affinity for birds uh, pheasants and ducks uh, so really got to work, uh, you know, in some really nice places in Minnesota, doing wetland management, doing grassland management, uh, promoted in DNR, ultimately got a job with Ducks Unlimited, uh, uh, moved to Ducks Unlimited and helped them uh, do their conservation programs in Minnesota and Iowa. I did that for five years, and then I took a job with the Nature Conservancy uh, in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, doing the same thing, managing, you know, conserving these large landscapes for wildlife and managing those to, uh, you know, produce maximum uh, wildlife benefit. And at that point, the commission, the uh, governor appointed me as commissioner. Okay. And that was what, how long ago was that? Uh, 2011, uh, Governor Dayton came into office, yeah. and 2011, uh, January 6th, 2011, the governor appointed me. Okay, okay. So what's your, you are, I think, um, the classic 
uh, generalist outdoorsman from the standpoint of your personal perspective. I think a lot of people nowadays uh, may want to specialize. specialize. They want to be a big game out west yeah, yeah. or they're an upland hunter. Yeah. I myself am a generalist. Yeah. I don't consider myself uh, focused on any one specific one. But I think people still have their preferences. What What oh, you are bet. your favorite things to do? You know, and, and and I totally am a generalist. I mean, I think when when I look back in my younger years, I was I considered myself a duck hunter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I hunted ducks, and I looked down my nose at deer hunters. I looked down my nose at pheasant hunters. It's like, you know, duck hunting is the pure Minnesota thing, right? Well, as as I have gotten older, I've realized that, you know, why would I limit myself to one thing? Because we have so much opportunity for so many things here. And when duck hunting is bad, I'll go pheasant hunting. Well, you know, when pheasant right. hunting is no good, I go deer hunting. You know, when deer hunting is no good, I go fishing. And so we are so fortunate in Minnesota to have the opportunity to do all of those things. And with each change of the season, another opportunity presents itself. So I find that being a generalist, while I can't be, you know, I can't be the top-notch angler. I can't be the top-notch deer hunter. I, I am a generalist, and by definition, then I am not specializing any of those. I still have a great time being out every season that we have in Minnesota. I do too. It's that, that to me is the, is the beauty of, of being that way is you literally, my, my, uh, my mom used to joke that my dad, when they got married said, you know, don't worry. It's just, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I hunt, but it's in the fall. And she soon realized that, that fall bird hunting went into deer hunting. Then deer hunting went into early ice fishing season. Ice fishing that went into into fishing. Well, fall for me starts in uh, Labor Day because I go pick wild rice. Right. Right. I pick wild Wild rice and and it's hunting and gathering. I pick wild rice on Labor Day, and shortly thereafter, the small game season opens. And shortly after that, you know, the the duck season opens, and then the pheasant season, and then the deer season, and you know, the pheasant season goes till the end of the year. Yeah, January right. one. January one comes and goes, and it's the saddest day of the year because I have to clean the guns and put them away. I'm ice fishing the next day. You know, <laughs> it's like hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> always, always something to do. Which reminds me, I do want to have. Uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime to talk about wild rice because yes. uh, I just I, I love it. And yeah. uh, whenever we have a modern carnivore experience event going on, I'll I'll serve for breakfast. I'll do the manolman porridge and oh uh, yeah, just you bet. people love people love that. Well, and the amazing thing about wild rice is uh, we sell about 2,000 licenses a year. You have to have a license to pick wild rice. But with your $26 license, you can go out and you can pick wild rice for the whole season, which might be two weeks in northern Minnesota. Yeah. You can get hundreds and hundreds of pounds of wild yeah. rice. Yeah. And now it's painful, and there's bugs that will get you <laughs> and, and stuff that gets in your sleeves and so on. But but you get a phenomenal product at the end of it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And when you pair it with venison or with uh, duck, pheasant, duck and, pancakes i make wild rice pancakes at home yeah. throwing some cranberries throwing some pecans it's just phenomenal oh it, it is it's it, it is wonderful it's it's a great tradition you know in going back just the whole history of it yeah i love it um and to that to that point you know thinking about deer hunting in minnesota in deer camp what is i, I think i maybe asked it earlier i forget if we touched on but what is behind the whole deer camp tradition? And we the and speakers talked about it last night at the dinner a little bit. But yeah. is it is it something in your mind that is a, a unique to Minnesota? Just the way we do it, and and what would you say defines what deer camp is about? You know, so I've never hunted deer outside of Minnesota. So what what I know about the uniqueness of deer camp is what other people tell me who hunt in other parts of the country, and they tell me that deer camp is a, a very unique upper Midwest tradition so i think it's not 
I think you you'll find it in Wisconsin, perhaps in Michigan as well. Sure. What, and what I think is the when I think about that, what I think is the foundation of it is that it's that public lands. Yeah. It's that public land. So we have places you don't have to own land. You just have to have a tent or a camper, mm-hmm. or you could have a cabin with no land and then hunt on that public land. So I think it is a function of the fact that a lot of our citizens live in the Twin Cities. A lot of them hunt. They have traditionally gone north to hunt, and so they have to have a place to stay. So they have put up a tent, or they have a cabin, or they have an RV. And I, and I think it's that sort of almost a migration between the Twin Cities and the deer country that has created this culture of a deer camp. And it, and it is, I think it is one of the most phenomenal parts about deer hunting, frankly, is that this tradition of deer camp where you go up and you get together with people you maybe only see once a year, and they are your best friends, even if you only see them once a year. And they have this shared narrative about hunting and they have this shared experience about being in the woods at dawn. And, and it's just a, it's extraordinarily rich tradition i think especially for guys you know there aren't we don't bond around you know this tv show in the morning you know we bond around these experiences especially the campfire, these outdoors the the campfire, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so i think it, i think the fact that it gives us that opportunity i think is what helps keep deer camp alive you know it um you really bring you bring up an interesting point that i hadn't thought of before and people who listen to this podcast know that we talk about public lands a lot. I'm wearing my public lands there we T-shirt, go. Yep, yep. Um, and it continues to come up in the dialogue consistently. Some people are maybe tired of it, but it, it, I like what you just said about that being a foundational element of deer camp because what it what it means is is people you know here in this state half a million people. Um, who the majority of them probably don't have land that they own to hunt on. You bet. Make that migration north, south, east, or west and meet up with friends, like you said, that maybe they only see once a year. And and I'm exactly like that. I've been at my family deer camp hunting, hunting deer for 35 years straight. Yeah. And, uh, and it is, it's, uh, that's some of the times when maybe relatives, I'm the only time of the year I see them. Yeah. Yeah, but we do. Right. We have that. We have yeah. that connection with the bonding and at over over the fire and telling the stories. And it's you fun bet. whether the old guys or the young guys are telling the story about one that got away or or yeah. or, or, or one that they just got. And, and it, it is sort of the great equalizer. Right? Yeah. I mean, anybody. You know, the the lunchbox guy doesn't. You know, is paying off a mortgage on his house. Doesn't have any spare change. Can still go to northern Minnesota. I right. still have a phenomenal experience. You know, I just bought a, 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 a wall tent this year. Oh, you did? For, for uh, hunting purposes. We actually use it in duck hunting in Canada. But it's one of those things when you go in northern Minnesota, yeah. people will set up a wall tent for weeks. Yeah. And they'll go grouse hunting, they'll go deer, go deer hunting, they'll go duck hunting. That's their base camp. And, uh, and, and, and you can do that. Yeah. Even if all you can afford is your mortgage on your house, you <laughs> right. can still go to your place up in northern Minnesota, and it, it is your place because people respect each other. you got a tent there. I'm going to go half a mile away, a mile away, and I'm going to set up my tent. But, you know, um, uh, uh, the end of the season, we talked about pheasant hunting earlier, uh, goes through the uh, new year. Uh, I get together with a group of guys. We do a, kind of a blowout. It's combined public and private uh, land that we hunt on. I see these guys once a year, and, and that's it. But these guys who i have gotten to know over five or six or eight years of of hunting they're they're like friends they're like long lost friends we get together once a year we share stories we talk about all of our health problems right (laughs) and uh and it's and it's just it's it's just a a great 
experience knowing that I have this circle of friends who share this common interest, right. this common love of going out and hunting pheasants. Right, right, exactly. So if somebody wanted to, somebody who hasn't, who hasn't deer hunted before, they want to start their own deer camp. What would you What would you recommend? You know, uh, first off, I will say it is the easiest thing you can imagine. Um, uh, I used to just primarily be a bull hunter, but when my kids came along, uh, that's the, bull hunting is a very solitary thing. It's not a deer camp experience in my in, in my uh, history. Uh, when my kids came along, I said to myself, I want my kids to know deer camp, and so I started firearms hunting uh, when my son who's now 19 son came along and so uh, we just went up to the Chippewa we took our summer tent which actually has a screen roof with a <laughs> with a with a fly over it right so it is not at all suited for November yeah but that's what we used we yeah. went up we set up a tent in the Chippewa National Forest we got the aerial photos you know we found out where we want to go uh, hunt we brought our portable stands out and we just went and hunted it is it is like falling off a log you just find a corner, you pitch your tent, and you go out and you hunt. I love, you know, it's it's interesting because um, se- several people have been talking about that over the, la- over the last couple of days, about the simplicity of it. And um, I used to think that, that it would be sort of the, the, the final step in people's journey to, to start hunting and, and get outdoors. And what's interesting is as, as I've continued to, to, to do this more and more over the last seven, eight years, I'm realizing that it actually is where people are starting a lot of times. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's an attraction to it, and I think there is a simplicity to it, yeah. like you said, which yeah. is, you know, versus if you're, if you're going to go duck hunting, you got to get a big spread of decoys. And, and a boat and, and waders. And yeah. you name it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, deer hunting, all you need is a, a gun, whether right. you're a shotgun with a slug in the south or you're a, a rifle with a, you know, bullet in the north. It's, it is the simple, it is, it requires less equipment than virtually anything else. Pheasant hunting, you got to have a dog. Yeah. Duck hunting, you got to have decoys in a boat. You know, it is, uh, grouse hunting is comparable perhaps, you know, yep. all you need is a gun and, yep. and uh, a piece of land. Yep. Yep. No, exactly. Um, so you, I know, are doing a lot of interviews this morning, and, and people are, are tugging on your sleeve. Um, what you know, you know, I, I want to talk about about public waters a bit, just because I think you've done a lot here to protect them. Um, just real quick, what 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 are you and the governor doing relative to to, to waters here? You know, Minnesota is an interesting place because west of us we have what we call Western Water Law, and that is the water belongs to whoever owns the land underneath. Eastern Water Law says the water belongs to the public, and if you can get access to it, you can go anywhere you want on it. So Minnesota is one of those states. So if you can get access to a body of water, you can go anywhere on the surface of that water. So we're very fortunate in that regard, and we have a long tradition um, going back decades where you know DNR acquires accesses. So we call them public water accesses, right? They're the boat ramps that everybody knows of. And by virtue of just having that little bitty access on a piece of water, mm-hmm. the whole water body mm-hmm. opens up. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal legacy, a phenomenal heritage we have in Minnesota. Um, the state of Minnesota owns 1,500 public water accesses. So 1,500 bodies of water you can go on to by virtue of this legal access and fish or hunt or, you know, water ski, whatever you want to do. But in addition to that, there are another 1,500 that are owned by other units of government, whether it's the federal government on the Superior National Forest or Chippewa National Forest or the county or, uh, you know, city. So there are 3,000 public water access in the state of Minnesota that open up all of that public water for people to use. And then there are an additional 3,000 
private accesses on that water. <laughs> so, you know, we, we often talk about, and, you, and you're absolutely right, we talk about public lands. We fail to mention that we have millions of acres of public water in Minnesota as well. Right, right. No, it's it's a wonderful thing. We've got such a a, a wealth of of that resource here in this. In every this person's backyard. Yeah, right. So, what's your best hunting story? You told one last night at dinner, which about is the pretty, kitty. Yeah, about, about the kitty, kitty cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell it again because okay. it's a great story. We uh, on opening weekend we hunt out of a buddy George's place, and George has got a couple of kitties, cats. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had a kitty, a little bitty black kitty, just I don't know, maybe eight inches long. Yeah. And when I went out in the morning to go to my stand, this little kitty got out, and it's like, okay, well, that's fine. It's a it's a barn cat. It'll just walk around. Well, the darn thing followed me a half mile out to my tree stand, and uh, when I climb up in the tree, the darn thing stayed there and meowed. It sat at the bottom of the stand and meowed. And I thought, well, this is not helping my deer hunting. Also, I went down, picked it up, put it in the stand, and that thing sat there the whole day. At my feet on a tree stand, curled up in a corner. Ultimately, you know, tried to curl up under my feet and everything, and would not leave. And I finally, you know, at the end of the day, I did not even see a deer. I suspect I smelled like a cat. And when <laughs> I went back to the farm, the cat uh, came along with me. So uh, the day I hunted with a kitty cat. <laughs> that is a first. I don't know anybody who's ever hunted with a cat before. Well, Commissioner, thanks so much for spending time with us this morning. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me, and good luck, and uh, be safe. Yeah, you too. Thanks. So thanks for joining me on today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And just a reminder, make sure you check out your state's uh, agency, whether it's the Department of Natural Resources, Game and Fish, or what have you. Check out their website and get to know your local conservation officer, who is oftentimes referred to as a CO. Uh, They can be a wealth of knowledge and a great resource on your journey into the outdoors. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.